Welcome back to our study through the book of Jonah. We're continuing in Jonah chapter 1 today, and we've just been singing about how great God is. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go, because I'm so excited that we are doing Jonah verse by verse. I think this is probably one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, one of the most well-known events, and yet we almost always get like a summary version of it. And so Jonah really becomes a case study for why at Horizon we love to go line by line, verse by verse, and really read it for yourself. Because the part that we're going to look at today is one of the parts that often gets skipped in the summary. But as we read it, as we dig into it, you're going to see that the sailors that Jonah is with ask a very critical question that a lot of us ask. So where have we been? Well, normally the summary is something like, Jonah disobeyed God, and so he's swallowed by a whale. So don't disobey God or you'll get swallowed by a whale or a great fish or whatever it is, right? <laughs> well, a little more detail. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh in the east. Instead, he goes due west to this place called Joppa with a plan to run away from the presence of the Lord and what God wants him to do. While he's there, we saw last week, he gets on a boat, and while they're on that boat, out on that great sea, a great wind comes, a great storm comes, they are greatly afraid, and now Jonah has found that it's all because of him. So I want to back up just a couple of verses to kind of get a running start at this. In, in verse 9, it's of chapter 1. So he said, Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So like he says he fears the Lord, but it doesn't seem like he's acting like he really does. And then this is where we get our question in verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you so that the sea may be calm for us? That is going to be our question today. What do you do when life's seas are stormy? Now they're in a literal storm, but you and I pick up on that metaphor right away. We are all too familiar with life's storms with the way that the seas can get rocky in small ways and big ways, and we feel like we are just caught in this maelstrom and we don't know what to do. And so I want us to be able to ask the same question that these sailors are asking. What do you do when life's seas are stormy? Because if you look at verses 11 and 12, when they ask this question, essentially what they're saying is, how did we get here and how do we get out of this? It says... They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. <laughs> and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now we'll, we'll come back to Jonah's response a little bit in a minute. Because essentially, in the midst of all of this, couldn't Jonah say like, oh, it's my fault, I need to confess to the Lord, and, and maybe he'll save us. And instead he's just like, not doing it, throw me overboard, <laughs> right? 
He kind of doubles down on what has been going wrong here. But you notice that the men are searching for some response. How did we get here? How do we get out? But notice, I want you to see one of the words in Jonah's response. This word, great. Now this is one of the things that you would miss if you just give the summary of the story. But when we actually read the pages of the Bible, when you actually look at this line by line, that word great appears 11 times in this very short book of Jonah. In fact, the whole book in my Bible fits on about two pages and that word shows up 11 times and seven of them are here in chapter one. Like everything is great. Now in our English translation, not all of them come through as great. So I want to show them to you so you can see this. It's the Hebrew word gadol. So like if we sang how great is our God in Hebrew, we would say gadol Elohai. Great our God is. And here's how it shows up. Nineveh is a gadol city. It's a great city. It's huge. It's massive. It's intense. It's important. It's critical. It is gadol. The wind is gadol. The tempest is gadol. Translated mighty for us. It's a big, huge storm. The men, when they face the tempest, are exceedingly, greatly gadol afraid because of this tempest, which is gadol. And I think the reason we see this so many times is because in the Hebrew, the the writer wants you to start picking this up, that everything around us is great. The city is great. The wind is great. The storm is great. The fear is great. Because by the end of this chapter, there are two great things that we're going to have to choose between. The men feared the Lord, gadol, greatly, exceedingly. And Jonah is swallowed by a gadol fish, a great fish. I think the reason it's showing us this, and you only catch this if you read it line by line, word by word, verse by verse, is that it's driving us even in chapter one to recognize that it's more than just Hey, if you're naughty, a fish might swallow you. But there's something great going on here. You see, that's why as we spend time together at Horizon, one of the core values that we share, one of the reasons that that when I first found out about Horizon, I loved this place and said, yeah, how do I get to be a part of that? Is that we don't just want you to know about the Bible. We want you to know the Bible And we want you to know the Bible, not just so you can kind of know about God or what he might have said, but that by knowing the Bible, you actually get to know God, right? Like what better way than if God gave us this book to reveal himself to us, not just to take the summary that I've heard somewhere, but to read it for myself. So I wanted to share a story like that with you because there's a friend of mine here at Horizon His name is Joe. And and I asked Joe if I could share this with you because it it was just so powerful to me. When I first met Joe, I actually met him here at Horizon. And when I met him, it was at one of our group studies. So when we do this in our equipping service, when we go verse by verse, it's not just so you get, you know, deep thoughts from Drew or deep thoughts from Chad or whatever else. The idea is we're actually equipping you to be able to do this kind of thing on your own. 
with your friends, in a study group, with your loved ones. And so I actually met Joe and his wife at a study group here at Horizon, and he was carrying one of those really thick Bibles. Like it's got to have the study notes and silver gilded pages. And you could tell those, those silver gilded pages had never been cracked open. And I don't say that to tease Joe. He actually told me that. He, he brought it to me the first time we met him. And he said, I've never read this really, even though I, I grew up in a church. But I'm going to read the whole thing eventually. And I thought, man, you have come to the right place. Like that's exactly what we want to do here. And then I didn't see Joe for a while. And I thought, you know, man, <laughs> I was so excited for that guy. Like what happened? I found out later that at the same time, his wife was struggling with cancer. And by the time I really reconnected with Joe again, she had passed away. Well, sometime after that, uh, Joe and I got into a verse-by-verse study together here at Horizon where we were going through the book of Luke. And we were teaching through it here on weekends. We were tracking a bit with the equipping series in our group. And when we got to Luke 5, Joe found something that I hadn't quite seen. And it was going verse by verse. More than just the platitudes, more than just encouragement from me, it was when he got into Luke 5, he saw this moment where Jesus comes to a man who is physically hurt, who's asking God for healing. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. That changed the way that Joe thought about God. Because he realized that's what God had done for his wife, Tracy. They prayed for healing in the here and now. And as much as still we would long for that, he realized not because of something I told him, not because of something he tried to talk himself into, but because of an actual line from the Bible that God had given his wife the even greater gift. He had forgiven her sin, guaranteed her eternity, and she is healed right now. Now that can be a hard truth to receive, but that's why we love getting into this book together. In fact, um, just a week ago, I was sitting down with Joe's daughter, Tracy's daughter, and we were talking about her marriage coming up. She's getting married and we were talking about the wedding and sitting with her and her fiance. And we were talking about how much the Bible can feed into what a really blessed marriage looks like. And I was racking my brain for an example of this. And I said, well, actually, you know what? It's, it's like this one time I was talking to your dad and something I never could have given him that he saw from God in these pages when he actually read them line by line. Did, did he ever tell you about Luke 5? And she goes, oh, yeah, that part. He told me about that part. And I realized that in the middle of life's storm, because Joe was in here verse by verse, God gave him something not only for him, but that he could share with someone else. That was his response in the middle of the storm of cancer. And I know that even as I tell you this, because um, Joe comes to Horizon and, and he's going to hear this, <laughs> he would tell you, oh, I got a long way to go. Yeah, we all do. That's why we love to stay in this book together. That is like what we're here for, to know God, to connect to him, by connecting to this book and one another, helping each other dig in that way. Because that gives us a different response, really, than, than what the sailors had available to them. If you look back at these verses, 
they're out of ideas. Now these guys, they live on the water, but they've done everything they can think of to do. They've thrown things overboard. In the previous verses, it says how they're crying out to any and every God they can think of because like when I don't know what else to do, I just, maybe it's time to get religious. I don't know. And Jonah's only option is throw me into the sea. Like are those, are those really our only choices? But these guys are out of ideas. Now, what you've got to understand is that these men know the sea. If anybody knows how to get through a storm in life, it's these guys. Because they're here, they're from Joppa. And and so I want to show you this drone footage. This is actually modern day Joppa. Although you would probably call it Tel Aviv. When you fly to Israel, you actually come in over the Mediterranean to Tel Aviv But the southern quarter of Tel Aviv is actually ancient Joppa. It's still in the same place that it was back then. So you can go there. You can stand on this coast. You can look out at this water and realize this is not a fairy tale. This is a real place where God had brought a real person to this very real city to see, is he going to obey? Is he going to learn? Now this footage I know is from a a sunny day and the waves look nice and that's the kind of beach I'd like to hang out on. And in, in fact, I've gotten to hang out on that beach with my wife and it's beautiful. But in this moment, they were in a storm. A storm that had come up greater than they knew what to do with. That they had exhausted every practical response that they knew to life, even though this was home for them. That they had exhausted every pseudo-spiritual, emotional kind of other thing that they thought might help that, that they knew to them. Because in that moment, they're thinking, I don't know if the gods are real. I don't know if yours is, yours is, yours is. Let's cry out to all of them and see what happens. And none of it is working because the thing that's still missing is that they don't know the one true God. In fact, even after Jonah's suggestion, throw me into the sea, in verse 13, they're like, well, that doesn't sound like it's going to help. I mean, that's, that might be murder, right? So it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Friends, it is getting worse and worse. You ever been there? You ever been in that moment where it seems like no matter what you try, nothing is helping, and on top of that, it's getting worse? I think one of the things that's so interesting in this moment for them is that we know, it's, it's become clear to us, and they have a sense of this too, sometimes you are in life's storms because of something you did, right? You made a choice, you chose to go the opposite direction from what God would ask you to do, you chose to give in to some temptation, to give in to some lie, whatever it is, and like Chad talked about last week, You're paying the fare. You're feeling the consequences. That's the situation Jonah's in. He's in a storm and he knows it's his fault. But sometimes you are these sailors. And for a long time, they don't even know why the storm is happening. Is it something we did? Is it something they did? Is it just life happens? And what I love about that is that in this storm, available to them is an option that it it almost doesn't matter if it's your fault, if it's someone else's fault, or if it's just happening. But before they get there, they try harder. I know that is a trap for me too many times that I think, I've caused this, I'll fix it myself. And I try harder, and I can't fix it myself. 
I can't fix that health issue. I can't fix that temptation. I can't fix that mistake. I, I need God. So sometimes we're crying out to all these other false things. Sometimes we're just trying harder ourselves. But watch what happens. Watch the change in the next two verses. Verse 14 says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord. Now this is different. Not just to some God somewhere just in case God is real. They've never ever even met this Lord before. But they know that nothing else has worked. And so it says, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. They cried out to the Lord and the sea ceased from its raging. Here's what I think they learned in this moment that, that I would encourage us to do. Cry out to the Lord who is greater than your storm. Cry out to the Lord who is greater than your storm. No matter how you got there, no matter whose fault it is. I actually think that this was available to Jonah too. That there's something, it, it just feels like it. And maybe this is the book of Jonah reading my own heart a little too much. There's something sick and twisted about Jonah saying, you know, I could cry out to the Lord. Maybe I could repent. Instead, no, I am not going to Nineveh. Throw me in the ocean. Right? Like that, the, the way that he doubles down on this. But too many times I think that's what happens to us. A, a lot of times when we find ourselves in life's storms, we try harder. We double down. We appeal to, you know, maybe it's not the random gods of the world or the people around us, but what is the thing that I typically count on that I call out to in a storm? You know, what is the thing that might make me double down like Jonah because no matter how bad the storm is, I can't risk my reputation by seeking help with this. I... I feel like life is crazy and I don't know what's going on in my home and so I, I double down on work because it helps me forget about the problems over here. Or, or I pull back from work because I feel like that's where the storm is and now I'm not putting the, the energy, the effort that I owe not only to the company but, but maybe even to God. And sometimes I think we catch ourselves like those sailors. We don't know what to do and we're grasping in every direction for something that can help us. And you know, I've, I've experienced things probably in my own life. I've seen them in other people's lives too that you, know, you have moments and maybe you've been this person, maybe you've seen this person where they can even say, I know it's my fault, but I'm doing this anyway. <laughs> right? Well, I know life is crazy, but maybe that means God doesn't care about me. You see, Jonah needs to say, I know it's my fault and I need to talk to God about it. The sailors have the opportunity to realize it's not even our fault, but God is still there. God is still real. God still cares. So the specific circumstances here may be something that you never quite encounter. You may never find yourself in a storm on the Mediterranean having to decide who to throw overboard. <laughs> 
because God's trying to deal with that person. Right, like you and I, we know a little bit of what's coming, right? That even in this moment, God is not putting Jonah to death, but in his strange and I heard one person call it severe mercy. He's even going to provide this fish to keep Jonah alive because he still wants to teach Jonah. He's still trying to bring Jonah back. And while you may not have those exact circumstances, we all face these kinds of storms. Now, I want us to learn, and I'm, I'm still learning this. So this is hopefully an encouragement for you, but would you encourage me with it too? That we can cry out to the Lord who is greater than the storm. I mean, think about the scenario that these sailors are in. Everything that is happening for them should sound incredibly familiar as you read the Bible. This is one of those moments where we actually discover God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let me... Let me try it like this. Let me paraphrase the story of Jonah a little bit and see if this sounds familiar to you. There are sailors on the sea when a storm comes up. It's a huge storm. They're exceedingly afraid and they think they might die. Well, the only person who might be able to help them or at least explain what's going on is asleep in the bottom of the boat. But They cry out to the Lord and he calms the sea. Does that sound familiar? Well now, as you picture that storm, let me read to you from Mark chapter 4. Because this is probably what you might be thinking of right now. This is Jesus and his disciples after a moment that he's been teaching. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke and said to him, they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Like, isn't that what it feels like in the storm? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. Same phrase as our sailors from Joppa. And said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, they cried out to Jesus and he calmed the storm. And they just realize, wait a minute, we've heard something like this before. We know about Jonah. And there is one greater than Jonah in the boat with us. Not only one who cries out to the Lord, but one who seems to be the Lord who can calm the sea himself. In fact, another one of my favorite places this shows up is in Psalm 107. And every time you hear me mention Psalm 107, I'm going to tell you that this is your homework. Go read Psalm 107. Because there's a couple moments in here that are just incredible. And this is one of them. It it describes, you're going to hear this beat for beat, just like Jonah, just like Jesus. 
that these sailors, they go down to the sea in ships and the storm gets so bad, it literally describes as, it, as they mount up to the heavens and go down again to the depths and their souls melt because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and they are at their wits end. They are out of ideas. They've done everything they can and they don't know what else to do. Now just earlier this week, I was in one of my verse-by-verse studies with Horizon Guys, which as a side note, if that sounds cool to you, please get in touch with me. I would love to help you find that. I can't tell you how much, even on a week I teach like this, I learn from these other guys. And, and one of these guys was in the Marines and he's been in a boat in a storm on the Mediterranean. Like exactly this moment that we're describing. And he described how in his modern day boat, they're hitting 80 foot swells that they have to actually chain the helicopters to the deck to keep them from falling off the side. But they're not even allowed on the deck. You can't even check if things are okay right now because this storm is so bad. So they go into the bottom of the boat and actually tie themselves to the bed because otherwise he said it's like you're levitating when the storm goes up and you kind of do this thing and drop back down that the boat was hitting so hard, the water was hitting so hard that it's actually punching holes in the helicopters and there's nothing you can do but ride it out and cry out to the Lord. Now imagine these guys in Psalm 107, in Mark 4, in Jonah 1, in their flat-bottomed wooden boat with nothing left at their disposal. It says in Psalm 107, this is the response. You're going you're gonna to recognize this from what we've just heard. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. When you are facing life's storms, you can cry out to the Lord who is greater than your storm. In fact, one of the reasons I encourage you to read Psalm 107 on your own is that there's actually several examples of people who find themselves in very different but very painful circumstances of life. And just like in Jonah 1, it's for all different reasons. Sailors who just happen to be in a storm. But earlier in verse 10, I won't read this to you, but I'm I'm hoping to just whet your appetite. It describes somebody who has found themselves in terrible circumstances specifically because of their rebellion. And yet, it also says there, even in their rebellion, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. Exactly like the sailors. That is so encouraging to me. I mean, I can't tell you how much value I find in realizing there's times I don't know what's going on, but there's also times I know it's my rebellion. It's my sin. I'm hurting because of something I did. And instead of pulling away from God and hiding, just like these sailors, I can, you can cry out to the Lord in your distress. Cry out to the Lord who is greater than your storm whether you're Jonah and you caused it or you're the sailors and you're just trying to make it through. Cry out to the Lord who is greater than your storm. And so we see that the way this comes together for them in verse 16, it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. 
No longer do they fear the storm exceedingly. Now it says the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Men who didn't even know him before this, and I wonder sometimes, I wonder for them, so I'll I'll say it for them, but maybe for us, maybe they never would have gotten to know the Lord if they didn't go through that storm. But now it says, instead of being afraid of the great wind, the great sea, the great storm, it says they fear the Lord. Now it's the exact same Hebrew word, but I think, I want you to understand this difference. Sometimes you'll hear this defined as the idea of revering the Lord, a reverence, a respect. And that's really pretty good because it's unusual for us to hear like, yes, I get afraid of the storm, like I could die. And yes, if you're being disobedient to God, you do have something to fear. There are real consequences there. And yet, Old Testament and New, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he can handle our storms in Jonah 1, Psalm 107, and Mark 4, Jesus uses this same language. Hey, you guys are afraid. Stop being afraid and fear the Lord. I thought you said stop being afraid. You see, the idea here is is one way that it kind of comes through in English is we have the root tariff that can be good or bad so things can be terrifying or they can be terrific terrifying or terrific they can be awful or awesome you see what happens when we fear the lord is we come into relationship with him and so instead of terrifying or awful in vengeance we discover a god who is terrific and awesome who is worthy of our obedience and our reverence, who brings us love, joy, peace, and calm in the storm. And so these men worship him because more than anything, they've learned to revere the Lord who is greater than the sea. They've cried out to the Lord who is greater than the storm and they've learned from real experience with the Lord himself to revere the Lord who is greater than the sea. I don't know what storms you're facing. I don't know how choppy the seas are right now. I don't know if you're listening to this, you're, you're, you're frustrated to realize it's your own fault or you're frustrated because you know exactly whose fault it is. You know, think if we're in the mindset of these sailors, It's not their fault, and yet God used this to get to know them. They become this incredible literary foil for Jonah that supposedly this Hebrew prophet of God, you would think he would be the one to cry out to the Lord, and yet, not unlike Nineveh, it's these pagan sailors from Joppa who understand best who the Lord is, even when it's not their fault. I was talking to a friend recently who had something happen at work that... I can't really give you all the details, but I'll put it this way. Accusations were made against him about how he was handling his staff that led to um, interviews with the boss and the boss's boss, internal investigations, let us see your cell phone, all kinds of stuff that was just, it was all false and he knew it, but that his life was still exploding around him. The seas were incredibly stormy. 
And so he did all the practical things that he needed to do. Yes, here's this, here's this data, here's that thing. Here, you can talk to this person, you can ask me, you can ask her, I can show you this, you know, whatever. And then he called me and he said, can you pray with me? Because there's a reality to our lives that after all of the practical things, after we reach out to everything else that can help us, we still know that there is a God who is greater than our storms. He is greater than the sea. He is Gadol. And we want to cry out to him, revere him, because whatever else happens, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he can calm your heart in the midst of that sea. Now I've told you I think that was available for Jonah too, but the last verse of chapter one, I think it's connected here because of that word gadol. Otherwise it feels like it really belongs with chapter two, but the the last verse, verse 17 says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Really? (laughs) Like, if the option is there, cry out to the Lord, revere him, worship him, and it becomes calm. You could have a great reverence for the Lord, and he chose a great fish instead. And you know, this is one of the things, I, again, I think is interesting about verse by verse, because most of the time we talk about Jonah, I, I hear people talking about, was it a whale? Was it a great fish? That can't be real. This ha-. So hold on for a second. Scientifically speaking, I've heard a number of great messages. I've read a number of good books with really excellent scientific explanations for what's going on with the whale and how it's really possible that a great fish can keep Jonah alive for three days. But on the other side, if God really is who he says he is, if he really created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, wouldn't it be strange if even if, even if just for a weekend he wanted to make one brand new kind of fish, do a miracle, because of the way that he's dealing with Jonah. That is also completely feasible because of who God is. And so I know some of you may be waiting for this moment. Yeah, break it down for us. Hey, come talk to me if you want and I'll, I'll show you some of the resources I've been through. But I think it almost becomes a distraction from what's really happening in chapter one, which is to drive us back to a great God. In fact, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been to Joppa. And this is actually a picture that John Kirby gave me when he and I and my wife and Neil and some of our friends here from Horizon were able to go to Israel last year to fly into Tel Aviv to stand and look out at this great sea, the Mediterranean. And so one of the things that hit me as I was studying this was like, I wonder where else the Bible mentions Joppa. And there's this incredible thing about this because The only other places it comes up, one is with Jonah, where he goes to Joppa to run away from telling Gentiles and enemies about God because he doesn't want them forgiven. He runs away from bringing a message of salvation to the world. The other place it shows up is that it's actually Joppa. This is how great this city is that it's actually where the supplies came in from the sea to build the temple and then they would take them overland to build the temple. But then it shows up again in the New Testament with one of Jesus' friends who was on that boat with him that day he calmed that sea. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, another good assignment for you, Jesus brings Peter to Joppa. And tells him, 
take my message of salvation to your enemies, to Rome, who for a Jew at that time was like Nineveh to Jonah. He says, I'm going to actually send you to a Roman centurion, a Gentile, to bring him a message of salvation. I love the way that God redeems this real place that in, in one story, it is Jonah running from the message of salvation for enemies in Joppa. And then God does the same thing in the same place and we see Peter obey and just like Nineveh, just like these sailors, a Roman centurion and his entire family are saved because there is one who's greater than Jonah because there is one who calms my sea and yours. And if your trust is in Jesus Christ, that he has forgiven you for every Jonah-like mistake, you will meet these sailors, you will meet Cornelius and his family, and they will tell you about the God who is greater than all of it. And so I would encourage you today, I think a key takeaway for me as I thought about this is to identify one great storm and pray our God is greater. You know, and maybe it's something going on in your life right now that is so painful, so mixed up, so twisted, and it's not your fault. Don't pull back from God and think he doesn't care about you. Cry out to the Lord who is greater than your storm. Maybe it's like Jonah. Maybe it's something that God has called you to do. You know, I've been praying about neighbors of mine, and there are moments where it feels like this is the moment to speak like Chad shared last week, Jesus' compassion for them, to show compassion to them. And there's some part of me that thinks, but what if I get it wrong? What if I say something wrong? Yeah, that happens to me too. And yet, I couldn't possibly get it more wrong than Jonah, right? And a boat full of sailors came to know the one true God, the Lord. I, I need to realize that whatever that fear is that crops up to keep me from obedience, to keep me from repentance, to keep me from seeing God at work in me and around me in the midst of my storm. I need to identify what I think that great storm is because the city is great and the wind is great and the storm is great and the sea is great and the fear is great, but our God is greater. So can I pray that way with you right now? And then we're actually going to sing that way together. So as you sing that, maybe that's your prayer to that great God. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we give you the glory that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you are the Lord who calms the sea. I pray that you would calm the fear in my friends who are watching this, that you would draw our hearts to cry out to you instead of saying, throw me overboard. God, that we would recognize no matter what is going on in our lives, whether we caused it or someone else has or it's just happening to us, that we would know and believe and experience you and say, our God is greater. Amen. of the blue.
is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no Awesome in power, our God, our God.